So what was Christmas like at your home growing up? How many of you didn't have much around the tree at Christmas time? Anyone else? How many of you had way too much around the Christmas tree? Nobody had way too much? No, a couple of people. So the, the contrast, I, I wasn't actually planning on starting the sermon this way, but, uh, and my wife will probably kick me later, but uh, growing up, if we had two presents under the tree, one from, in our household was Santa, and one from the parents, uh, we were kind of, we were good to go, that was it. And uh, that's what we look forward to. Sometimes we get extra presents. My dad was a pastor, so we'd have other things from church members and kind of bonus gifts and uh, always looking forward to that, that time. And when I married into a family that was uh, quite a bit different in the economic levels than my, my parents were. And uh, the first Christmas I went to my wife's parents' place, I was actually kind of took my breath away. Like I couldn't even see the tree. There are so many presents. It's like halfway up, this pile of Like at our house, you might have maybe, you know, 20 presents. There's seven in our family, so not a lot to go around. But in, I'm sure there were hundreds of presents. It seemed like it, at their place. And it took all morning to open these presents. And you had to be nice and, and joyous for everyone. Another present! <laughs> oh, this is so great! Another present! And I remember my kids kind of getting overwhelmed with, you know, more, more, more. Like, they, they, it's too much. And I, uh, uh, the contrast, I guess, has always rubbed me the wrong way in some ways. Like, what, what is too much? What is enough? What is, when do you be content with what you have? And so, uh, you know, so when, when we bring one tradition together, two traditions together in our family, what did it look like? And and I tell you, it's hard when you go shopping, right, to not want to buy more and more and more and bigger and better and faster and shinier all the time. But what is, what is enough? Do we have to have the latest in cell computer technology or cell phones or the latest in the fashion design or the latest in automobile innovation, the latest in weatherproof camping gear? Uh, the, the, the best-looking spouse, the smartest kids, the, the nicest house, like all these things. Some people just aspire to rise above. To be the, the, who, some people, and maybe I know that some of you here, yeah, you're, you're the early adopters. You want to get the, the, the newest thing that's out there. How many of you have the new iPhone right now? Just no, no hands? Any? I saw another one. Was it like iPhone 15 or something? Or where is it going already? But it, like my, I know people, they have to get it first and uh, before anyone else because that's just their personality. And, I, and I, I like waiting a little bit, you know, making sure all the bugs are worked out. And, you know, we went, actually, it was time for us to do uh, car shopping. So um, what we have is old and is starting to cost us more than it's worth to, to, to repair almost. And... Uh, but, you know, where do you stop with the new cars and all the gadgets? And you could have this, but you could have this. And, oh, but then you could have this. And then we have electric and we got hybrid and we got all this stuff. And it's hard to just be content. You know, what's, what's good enough is the question, not what's over the top. The gospel brings us sufficiency. And today I want to look at the gospel being Enough, not just enough, but, but more than what we need, actually. The gospel gives us everything we need for life. 
The word sufficient, it just means enough or adequate, but it doesn't do justice to what Christ offers us through salvation. He's more than enough. The gospel story, it starts in the Garden of Eden and it ends at the throne of God in heaven and every step of the way, in every situation, in every circumstance, God himself proved more than enough, more than sufficient for his people. What I've learned over 40 years of being in Christian ministry is not only uh, what Christ has done is completely sufficient for salvation, but also for everything after that, after you're born again, it's, it's, it's like we have everything we need because God provides for us. It's, it's the truth that the gospel brings, not just that we have our sins forgiven, not just that we have... Um, a relationship with God now, but he loves us enough to say, I, I know what you need. I'm going to take care of you. Second Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make every blessing of yours overflow for you so that in every situation you will always have all you need for any good work. It's amazing. How many, uh, let's see, we have uh, every, uh, every, always, all, and any. So, how much is in all? Is there anything left over after all? The Bible talks about God being our all in all. We'll get to those verses later. But that, it's like more than enough. Not just all, but all in all. The good news is that Christ is enough for all of our needs, spiritually and physically. The disciples found out that Christ was more than enough when they thought they were going to drown during a storm on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, they were amazed. Who is this, they said, who, who the wind and the sea obey? Mary and Martha found out that Christ was more than enough when they saw him raise their brother Lazarus from the dead. They were hoping for a simple healing, but Christ was more than that. He was more than a healer. He was the resurrection and the life. The demon-possessed man in Gadara found out that Christ was more than adequate when he completely healed him and left him in his right mind. He was given his life back and given a new purpose for living. Zacchaeus, he spent his life chasing after money and defrauding people, but one afternoon, Jesus changed his life. He found out that Christ was more than a good teacher and a healer, and he gave Zacchaeus meaning and purpose to his life. What he'd been searching for all along. From time to time, I have had the opportunity to hobnob with some very affluent people. Now, one person I know uh, builds resort hotels on the coast of Brazil. Uh, another person I know owns multinational corporations. Some people I have met actually run countries. And they have their airplanes and their boats and cottages at the lake and ski chalets in the mountains and houses in various countries. And when I compare my life to theirs... You know, you know, there's, a, there's a, an incongruence there, and I can, can be dissatisfied with a few things that I have. And even in ministry, you may not know this, but even in ministry, some pastors, you know, if you're struggling in a small church, you look to the big church and you're going, well, I wish I had a big church. And, and there's always a bigger church. I mean, we're not a small church, but we're not a big church. My, my younger brother... He's got a big church. We're talking about 8,000 members. So I, I, I probably shouldn't say this either because it's being recorded. But, you know, <laughs> when we go down to the States, 
My, my family, we have this little joke. We go, my brother's name is Mel. And we're going down to the kingdom of Mel. Because <laughs> he's got the huge church. He's got, he's got the full rank or, uh, orchestra behind him with 80 people in the choir loft with the pipe organs, the drums, the balconies. Every, he's got so much. We just go down there like, wow. And... Uh, it's easy to be discontent. When you start comparing, there's always somebody that's got something bigger or better. But God has a way of putting things into perspective, right? I just have to take a trip to India or Africa or Myanmar or stroll through the makeshift homeless camps in our own city to get my perspective back. Outside of my window in my office, right here in the back corner of the church, I see people nearly every day that have nothing but a shopping cart full of stuff that's rotting, and moldy, and damp, but that's all they have. And they're parking by our containers, sleeping the night there. It puts things in perspective. A while ago, I walked through my garage just looking at my stuff. I don't know about you. uh, We are able to actually park our car in the garage, which, you know, in the West Coast, it seems like that's not what garages are for. It's mostly garages for stuff. And you park your car out in this driveway. Well, I have, because I looked at my ski gear, the inflatable raft, the rollerblades. I got two vehicles in there, a freezer, fishing poles, storage shelves, packed with decorations and whatnots, ice skates, dartboard, power tools, camping gear, racquetball, tennis, squash, basketball, volleyball, soccer ball, bicycles, workbench, kayaks. I'm going, I got stuff! And you know, if all of that disappeared, except for my car, if all of that disappeared, would I even care? What do I even notice? What have I used even in the last couple of years? We obsess over what we don't have or what other people do have or we can do what Paul recommends in Philippians chapter 4. He says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is fair, whatever is pure, whatever is acceptable, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, keep thinking about these things. Likewise, keep practicing these things. What you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, then God of peace will be with you. Now, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because, once again, you have shown your concern for me, talking to the people in Philippi. Of course, you were concerned for me, but you did not have an opportunity to show it. In other words, they were worried about Paul, but they couldn't send him any money to help him out to get by. And I'm not saying this because I am in any need, for I have learned to be content in whatever situation I am in. I know how to be humble, and I know how to prosper. In each and every situation, I've learned the secret of being full and of going hungry, of having too much and of having too little. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's this philosophy, it seems like, in Western world, in churches particularly, but that somehow we have to add something to Jesus in order to be happy. Thanks, God, for the salvation, but if I just had a nice big house with a large kitchen, a family room, a workshop, a pool, an entertainment room, surround sound, I could be happy. If I had Jesus plus perfect children or a beautiful spouse or nice clothes or an important job, I could be happy. 
Thank you, Jesus, for being in my life, but could you help me achieve my business goals or meet my sales quota this year or finish my master's degree? Then life will be grand and I can be happy. Some need Jesus plus loads of friends on Facebook or followers on X or connections to LinkedIn and people who respond immediately to every post, tweet, and update they make. If they don't get 25 responses within 40 minutes, it's like, I have no friends, no one cares. Good news is that we don't need extraneous things and dubious connections in our life in order to be happy or in order to be content. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. What would you rather have, money or God? It seems like there's a contrast here because you you can't follow both at the same time. You have to pick one. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because I will never leave you or abandon you. It's like, okay, what are you saying here, God? Having traveled around the world several times, I see how many times those who have the least are actually far happier than those who have the most. I was in a village in Senegal, West Africa, and I saw this kid, he had maybe one t-shirt, one pair of shorts, some flip-flops, and on the end of a string, he had a milk jug with four wheels on it that he was pulling down the dirt pathway, just laughing, having a great time. Whereas I have seen the rich boys surrounded by electronics, a closet full of clothes, a big house, music lessons, sports practices, church activities to go to, depressed, anxious, and angry with life because he doesn't have the latest iPhone and electronic scooter too. Imagine having all that stuff and not being content. The reason people always want more is because nothing in this world can really truly satisfy It's always going to rust or break or need to be repaired or replaced or fixed. It's always going to let you down. The economy, our health, our house, the clothes we have go out of style, the car breaks down, people disappoint us. You know, the American dream that everyone is trying to have is simply no longer accessible to most people, whatever that is in the first place. 2 Timothy 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it's clear that we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, we will be content. But they who will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which plunge men into destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, of which some have lusted after. And they were seduced from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's like they, they chose to walk away from what God has to offer and to embrace what the world has to offer. But it never satisfies. When we depend on our own bank account or our own know-how or our own willpower or our own influence to make things happen, we will know little of the sufficiency of Jesus. So I I was in India, I think it was in uh, Madurai in the south part of India, and I was visiting with Pastor Paul Jesidos, for a few weeks, um, many years ago now. And he impressed me as, a, as a, a man of God who knew God, who, when he spoke, God listened. 
God used Pastor Jesidus to convict me when I forgot that Jesus was all I needed. I wouldn't mind having a new suit, but I remember Pastor Paul Jesidus wears his one and only suit every single week to church. Be nice to have a new car. Pastor Jesidus is grateful for the worn out bicycle he has. He prays the Lord, I got a bicycle! Be nice to have a bigger house, but Paul Jesidus has a three-room house with relatives living with his wife and two kids. And he's content. And Pastor Paul Jesidus is leading people to Christ every day with a smile that tells people he loves them. He lives a life dependent upon Jesus every day. He finds that Jesus is sufficient. When his daughter was ill, he couldn't afford to take her to the doctor or to the hospital. He had to pray her back into good health. He knows more of Christ because he depends on Christ for so much more than I do. Romans 14, 7 says, For God's kingdom does not consist of food and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy produced by the Holy Spirit. So let me ask, are you more worried about what you're going to have for lunch today than you are about living a life that's pleasing to God? Do you spend more time going on fashion or house or car websites than you do reading the Bible? Have you spent more money on fine wine and drinks this year than you have on supporting missionaries overseas, spreading the gospel in places where it hasn't been heard yet? Listen to what Paul says to the churches in Corinth and Colossae. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But when everything has been put under him, Jesus, then the Son himself will also become subject to the one who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. And Colossians 3.11, In him, Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free person. Instead, the Messiah is all and in all. What I was trying to get from this passage is that, you know, with, with everything that goes on around us, all the stuff we have, all the things we pay attention to and spend our money on, it doesn't matter. In the end, we'll stand before Jesus. We will give an account to him for how we use the resources he gave us, how we spent our time, how we honored him with our life and our possessions and our talents and our gifts. In the end, he's the only thing that's going to matter. Is he really your all in all or just an add-on to your life? So when we find our sufficiency in Christ, everything else will be put in the proper place. Conversely, when we follow Christ, sometimes we're going to have to let go of everything and anything that we have been chasing after so he can have preeminence in our life. Either Christ has all power and strength or he does not. Either he is the one we need to depend on or he is not. Next, next slide. Either he can enable us to walk by faith or he cannot. It's not both and. It's not, you can't have both. You can't say he has all the power and strength and then ignore him and not depend on him. Christ's sufficiency is an all or nothing concept. And we must decide whether we accept that Christ is indeed our all in all or if we are trying to cipher away some of his glory for ourselves. Thus, given that God is jealous for glory, we had better live properly in light of his sufficiency so that 
He does indeed get all the glory. We just sometimes want to get credit ourselves for where we are. I pulled my own self up by my own bootstraps. I didn't get any handout from anybody. I worked hard. Look what I've accomplished. And, and, and God says, wait a minute, I gave you health. Wait a minute, I put you in a country where you have freedom. I put you in a family that supported you. I, I, I prevented you from experiencing a lot of tragedy that you could focus on your training and education. Don't be thinking you did this all yourself. You've totally forgotten how much I am all in all. So when I see the reports in the past couple of years of what Christians have dealt with in the Middle East and Central Africa... Do you remember the terrorist groups that were rounding up Christians, enslaving them or killing them? I'm sure they weren't worried about how their hair looked, whether or not they needed to get the oil changed in their car. I don't think they were worried about upgrading their computer or shopping for a new dress. They were facing life and death. Nothing else mattered to them. All they had left was to cry out to God for mercy and grace, for intervention, for a miracle in their circumstances. My wife and I visited a young man in the hospital uh, some years ago. He had two small children. His wife was there in the room. He was dying of cancer. I think maybe he was 30 years old. At that moment... That family wasn't worried about their club membership expiring, about anything they owned, no possession they had, no airline status. What was important to them was the life of their husband and their father. And where do you turn in that kind of a a moment when, when it comes down to the most important thing ever? The one who is your all in all. The one who created you, who has the power to heal, who has the a power to do more and abundantly more than we ever ask or think or imagine. Nothing else is more important than God when your life is at stake. Nothing can truly satisfy like the presence of God at that moment. Nothing can comfort you like the Holy Spirit in times of desperation. Nothing else you have matters when you're facing eternity. The most important thing at that moment is your relationship with God and your hope in Him. The Scriptures tell us that we came into this world with nothing and there's nothing we can take out of the world. And I don't, I agree, but it's not quite accurate in that we didn't come into this world with a relationship with God, but we are going to leave with one. That's the one thing we're going to take with us when we stand before God is that relationship with Jesus Christ. Did we honor him in our lifetime when we had the opportunity? Exodus 3, Moses was standing before God, and he asked God a very important question. Who am I going to tell the people is sending me to them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. So all throughout the scriptures, God reminds his people who he is and what he has to offer us when we are in relationship with him. Genesis 15, don't be afraid. I am your shield. Genesis 15 again, I am the Lord. Abraham, I am God Almighty. I am the Lord, your healer. I am gracious. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am holy. I am your portion and your inheritance. The Lord, Jeremiah says, is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him and not depend upon anything I have on this earth. 
Jesus continues in the same vein in the New Testament. He, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection in life. I'm the light of the world, the good shepherd, the vine, and you are the branches. He's just saying, what do you need? I can be that. What, what, what's going on in your life? I can, I can meet your need. I can meet you there. I can take care of you. The good news is that God is everything we need for life and happiness. He addresses all of our needs, and he satisfies our wants and our desires when we submit them to him. 2 Peter 1.2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according to his divine power. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue given to us all things that we need, everything that we need to have an abundant life. Is it like your neighbor next door? Uh, no. Is it like your uncle that's living in the Bahamas? Uh, no. We have what we need. We're not comparing to other people that have, it seems like a much easier life. But, you know, we've got different assignments, different lives, different interaction, different relationship with God. Every person will be accountable to God for how they have lived their life. The good news is that the gospel is complete. What it offers is enough. In fact, it's more than enough. It doesn't need to be changed, adapted, modified, negotiated, or edited. The gospel message is enough. Jesus came to give life, to reconcile us to God, to forgive our sins, to take up residence inside us, and we can have this new life now if we confess our sin, believe in him, and submit to his lordship over our life. So how do you tell if you are, if your sufficiency is in Christ? Well, if truly you are content and sufficient in Christ is your sufficiency, there will be a lack of worry and anxiety in your life because you will be trusting him in all things. There will be a sense of contentment in where you are. You will look to him for fulfillment. If you're never satisfied, if you're always thinking that it could be better, just a bit more, just a bit stronger, just a bit, just the next level, the next step. If you're never truly satisfied, you haven't found your sufficiency in Christ yet. Your life will have a focus, meaning and purpose and direction. He will be the way for you. He will give you the direction in life. You don't have to worry about the future because he will provide that for you. He will guide you in that. And prayer will be a priority. If you have found your sufficiency and contentment in Christ, prayer will be a priority. Spending uninterrupted time with your Lord will take priority in your life. You'll be drawn to seeking him through reading his word, getting to know him, building on that relationship so that when you see him face to face, it will be a grand reunion. The gospel is good news for every area of our life. It's enough. It's sufficient. And we are to be content in knowing that God's in control and we don't have to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, you planned this out from the very beginning. <laughs> you knew what we needed. You saw our life. You knew what we were going to face in, in this life, what circumstances we would have, what situations, what concerns we would have. And you promised to be enough for us. You promised to to guide us through. You promised to be actually more than we need in all things. Father, may we trust you. May we learn to live a life of contentment in you, 
to seek you above all else, and to, to not let the things of this world have a hold on our life or our mind or our ways or our budgets, our planning. Father God, this world is passing away, but you're not. May our soul be totally ready for that day when we stand with you. And Jesus takes us by the hand and ushers us into his kingdom. He's prepared for us and saying, well done. You did it right. Thank you, God, for this day. My prayer is that you would have your way in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name, amen.